Welcome to Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, sorry about the last episode. I uh, guess I made a little goof on the audio mix. It was a little too quiet. So then uh, I quickly removed that one and put up one that had better audio. Uh, so if it's like, if it if you started listening to the last episode, it was too quiet. Go back in your feed. It should have updated. It, it says better audio quality or louder audio. Okay. In, in the so the very important enough. things we say can be heard. Yeah. yeah. There's just like a couple ticks because we use two different mics. So there's some balancing I got to do. And then it just like, I thought I had it because I'm normally pretty good at it. And I, Would I it be know. easier if I bought the same mic as you? Maybe. Who knows? I, hmm. I assume it, it is because this one has gain on it and yours doesn't have any gain knob. I do not. Mine's just a standard like yeah. blue snowball. But I, yeah. I would be willing to purchase another mic if it makes things better. So shoot me a link to what you have and we'll give it a go. If it makes it easier for you to edit the podcast every week, why not, right? Yeah, and then I'm trying to – I'm like further back from the mic to try to even it out. But Okay. Well, it's funny because I can watch the wave files. And this is obviously, you know, pretty inside track stuff here. I can watch the wave files and your wave files are much larger than my wave files. Always. Always. So that could be because of that gain issue. So anyway – all right. Well, we'll take a look at that. It's funny because I'm doing what you do for our podcast for that other podcast that I'm working on now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing a podcast for work, which annoyingly work is called auto hunter. So it's very difficult for me to start saying <laughs> auto hunter and not say auto off topic when recording, but we'll get there. Yeah. So not, not my fault that the name's the same because auto off topic existed long before auto hunter and it is what it is. So yeah. I haven't, I haven't done it yet. We, we it's it's, uh, it's almost come off the tongue a couple times. It hasn't happened yet. So, anyway, what's going on, Andrew? What's new? What's good? I don't know. You had some car news for me because I apparently missed all these things or I ignored them. Yeah, you've been busy working or something, and I've been busy also working. If I lost you, have more car stuff. Yeah, I work in a car. Work. I work in a car environment, so stuff gets talked about, and I work in a car environment with a crowd of people who are into like modern stuff so i learned some stuff about modern stuff normally we don't do much modern stuff here but the two main things i want to talk about are pretty pretty important in the world of car enthusiasts um one of them is that porsche came out with a new 911 sc so they're calling the the sc for the sport classic i think and it's kind of a throwback to porsches of past um, it's going to be a manual transmission only, and it's going to be a two-wheel drive only. And s- while Porsche sells the new 911 in a turbo, the new 911 turbo is only available with an automatic, and the 911 SC is going to have the turbo and a manual transmission. So at least it has that like throwback to old Porsches. Obviously, this is a car we don't care too much about because it's way outside of our purview of buying power. But it's interesting and cool to see that Porsche, who we know is working on the biofuel kind of thing where they're trying to make fuels that will exist in the future that can be sustainable and so old cars can run forever. They're also keeping with the manual transmission in these special edition cars. So it is neat to note that's coming out. Pretty cool car. I like to see one. Uh, they put a bunch of cool touches on it. It's got a neat little duckbill spoiler. It's got a bunch of throwback stuff. It's got like number meatballs on the side. It's actually a pretty sweet car. So I can't wait to see one. Um, 
It's cool that it's coming out. In news that will tick off the purists, Corvette announced through a Instagram post, a social media post in general, I guess. And they didn't say much about it, but the post starts with a Corvette in full camo parked on a like snowy field. And the camera is panned in on the front wheel of the car. And as the car accelerates, you see the front wheel start spinning. Yeah. Meaning that they're going to be making a presumably all-wheel drive, not front-wheel drive Corvette. And then what the teaser was is that the Corvette is going to be made in both hybrid and full electric coming out in the next couple of years. So it's like an official announcement that Corvette's like, yep, we're doing this. We're making a hybrid and we're also going to make a full electric. So in doing a little bit of research, the GM electric motor, which they use in like the Hummer, what's the Hummer called? The big Hummer EV, E-Hummer. Oh, I don't know. Hummer, Hummer EV, EV, I thought. <laughs> Hummer E, I don't know. That is a name for it. But So the Hummer uses two of these motors and they're like 312 horsepower each. Yeah. Supposedly Corvette's going to use one of them to drive the front wheels. So you have your 500 horsepower plus 300 horsepower. That to me equals an 800 horsepower Corvette, which is See, pretty cool. What if it was, hey guys, we finally put the engine in the back, but now it's driving the front wheels. Maybe they did that, but I don't <laughs> think they did that. So it's an RF, a rear front drive. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, has that ever existed? It's probably like, some French car. Yeah. Probably, if, if anybody did it, it was the French. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think that ever existed. I think that would be a first. Um, I bet. No, I bet it's uh, I bet like a early like brass era car is set up that way. There's yeah, there's probably, probably something though back then. Yeah, something yeah. before cars got more standardized, and they're trying all new things. But anyway, so they're announcing that, and they're ta- there's talk of a thousand horsepower version as well. And yeah, I it's mean, just the, a matter of motor tuning. Yeah, the purists are pretty mad about it. But how can you be mad about a thousand horsepower what Corvette? Purists, there's no Corvette purists. Right. That's because the like, newest Corvette is the best Corvette, so it doesn't really matter. So I would like for you to go onto their Instagram page and read the comment section below this announcement and tell me that there are no Corvette purists. There are some because they literally clamor to buy the best newest one. There are some pretty pretty one. mad people in this comment thread. In fact, I would say that it's ninety ten split mad to happy about it. In the comments. It might not be the real world, but it's the comments. Those people aren't gonna buy the thing anyways. Well, I think the big thing is is that Chevrolet probably sees that wait a second, our core New Balance jort-wearing Corvette owners are dying, and we might as well embrace the youth that are going to be buying these in the future. So, Is it going to be less than the NSX? I, I mean, it's a Chevrolet. It's They, they came out with the Corvette, and they're like, this is basically a Ferrari. How much is it going to cost? $69,999. <laughs> so I'm sure this will be like eighty five grand because that's just what they've been doing. Because it really sounds like the way the NSX was set up. Yeah, probably pretty much. I mean, it's, it's, they, it's a common supercar thing. Making those, right? Yeah, this is the last year. There's a few special editions this year. But the new Ferrari, the four, sorry, the, yep, 358. Nope. Nope. 396, 390. Sure, just say it. Oh, God, I hate, of... yeah, Ferrari, <laughs> Ferrari alphabet soup. The new Ferrari 390, I'm going to look it up because it's bothering me. 296, 296. 296. <laughs> The Ferrari 296. The 296. 296 GTB is going to be the same way. It's going to be rear-engined V6. Actually, the first 
Ferrari production car, street car, with a Ferrari badge, not counting Dino's, to have a factory V6. And it's going to have electric motor driving the front wheels. But that car is going to be $322,000. So, assumingly, the Corvette will be, you know, one-third that price at the most. So, I I think it's interesting. I think it's neat. I'm glad the American manufacturers are keeping up with that stuff. I'm also glad that there's people who will buy it. I'm also glad that the people who hate it because it's funny to watch the interactions between them. Uh, But the good thing is, is that while there is no manual transmission in the new Corvette, some of the specs that were leaked were documents from Tremec where they're actually developing a manual transmission for this setup. So that should be interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Whether or not it will ever come out, who knows, but they're working on something. Pretty sure back in the day, I mean, one of the Duntoff designs was like a four drive Corvette at some point. I do not remember. I'm pretty sure they had thought about it. They had some weird like rear engine and, Rotary yeah. engine and all kinds of other Corvette things. Yeah, there are all kinds of stuff they were trying to figure out. It could have been a four-wheel drive one in the past. Who knows? But so anyway, this time no it's actually happening. As, there's no such thing as purists in my mind for Corvettes. Well, I think that most older Corvette buyers, and I, I hate to say older, but probably true. Most older Corvette buyers are kind of purists about it. That's why you have the, you know, buy the new Corvette, park it in your garage, drive it 13 miles a year so you save the value of it for whatever. And then it winds up not being worth anything anyway, but they still do it every year. Oh, that's so. why all these <laughs> C5s and C6s are becoming drift machines. Yeah, because they're Cause so they're cheap. Dirt cheap. Yeah, they're so cheap. But the thing is, is that people save them all the time because, and they've been doing it since the 70s Corvettes, and not once has it worked out in their favor. And I, they continue to do it. I don't understand why. Buy a brand new car, make payments on it, park it, and then expect to make tons of money on it in 20 years, and you don't every time. So. Whatever, it's Corvette people. Those are the Corvette purists I'm talking about. So moving on from new car news. <laughs> um, last car news segment of the day that happened in the past week. Do you remember the final Honda S2000 CR editions? Of course. I think it was like a club racer is probably what it stood for. If I remember yep. correctly. Had a front lip and a rear wing. Front lip, rear functional. wing, and a hard top. Mm-hmm. Did they have soft tops too? Or did they just have a hard top? They might have just had a hard top. No, I think they had soft tops, but it, it was a, optional. It included the factory hardtop, I think, yeah. for club racing. So anyway, one just sold on our favorite uh, site to make fun of car prices on. Bring yep. a trailer. Yep. So this is a 2009 Honda S2000. Okay. I, AP2. Yep. I brought this up to you before we started, and you had not heard of the sale yet. So no, I missed it. We're going to make this your, your game here. Uh, the car has 123 okay. miles on it. So unlike Corvette, yeah, unlike Corvette buyers who squirrel their cars away and hope to make money, it doesn't work. But does it work with Hondas? What do you think this 2009 Honda S2000 CR sold for? $150,000. You are off by a significant margin. Really? Yes. Like low Yes. high? You are low. I'm low? You are low, (laughs) yes. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Uh... 200k. $200,000 on the nose. Wow. For 2009 Honda S2000. No. Yeah. I mean, they're good not... cars and they drive really well, but they're not worth 200k. So a 2009 well, again, it's not going to be driven. It's going to be parked in a No, because as soon as you put miles on it, it's not worth 200k. Well, either. the last low mile one that sold sold for 100k and they had like 2000 miles on it. 
So the difference oh between, you know, 120 miles and 2000 miles is apparently a hundred thousand dollars. So okay. it doesn't make any sense. Now I did a little digging into the guy who bought it. Um, and I was looking at his other purchases on bring a trailer. Um, and it's, it's clearly just going to sit in a garage and probably be parked next to all these other cars. So there's no, there's no reason that you'll ever see this car be driven. It doesn't mean anything except for it's like buying a piece of art at this point. Um, the same person who bought it also bought the Tim Allen Ford GT that sold for a million. So it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be ever driven. Ford GT that was owned by Tim Allen. That's it. So it was it was the first Mark, oh, not Mark, not Mark. We call it the second generation, second gen of the modern GTs. It was the first one of those to break oh, a million okay, dollars. Okay, it was okay. a million or two million or whatever it was. It was stupid money. Like the ones that came out in like twenty fifteen. Yes, the second generation of the newer, really? the newer ones. Yeah. So. Hmm. I'm trying to find a link here for it, but my my computer's not. And the only reason why it's worth money because. Tim Allen farted in it. I, I don't think that's the case. I think that it be, just happened to be that Tim Allen owned it. Um, it happened to be like it's a rare color combo and it's a rare. Again, it had no miles on it, and this guy had a million dollars to buy it. And it is yeah, what it is. So his his username on Brain Trailer is Nico twenty fifteen. So and he bought this car for two hundred grand. He bought a ninety eight NSX for one hundred ninety five grand. You know, so he's bought a bunch of a bunch of stuff for stupid money. So he's not the only one. Obviously, somebody else is bidding. You know, he bought a nineteen. Yeah. He bought a nineteen nine eleven GT two for six hundred grand. So he he spends a lot of money on cars here. Um, he paid a hundred a million dollars for the seven hundred mile twenty seventeen Ford GT. I mean, he paid fifty grand for a Myers Max. That's the kind of <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whatever, Chase Bliss, man. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand it, but maybe uh, he's got other delivery mile cars. He bought an SSR for forty five grand. So, yep. he's all right. So, speaking of big dollar auction buyers, how's about that uh, Cressida? How's that going? Oh yeah, world record price. Yeah, yeah. So the my world record price Cressida, uh, only because it's the only eighty one Cressida to have been sold on an online auction that's been tracked. Which makes me, you know, automatically, <laughs> automatically the winner there. Um, has had some pretty big strides this past week. Yeah. Um, it went from where did we leave it off last week? Had I put the tag back in? I don't think so. Yeah, you had it. You had it back. I think you did. No, because you were, no, no, you were waiting. You were waiting on lines. Waiting on hoses. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. last Friday night, I went to put the tank back in the car. So all the new lines were in, the new fuel pump was in, everything was ready to go. All I had to do was put the sending unit in and a couple other minor things and then bolt the tank up in the car. So the tank is held in the car, pretty standard 80s fare with two tank straps, which you would think should be a 30 minute job maybe. Uh, It took all night. So there's that. That's number one. I think it's our error, 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 not error, our error as to why it took that long because the second strap took significantly less time than the first. I think that we unbolted the wrong side. I think if we had unbolted the 
strap at the front of the tank towards the front of the car. It has a very long bolt on it, which gives you some wiggle room to get things in place. Whereas unbolting right. it from the back, it's the strap bolts to a uh, called a bracket that kind of hangs on a hinge from the car. And we couldn't get the strap up far enough to put the stud through the hole in the strap hanging down. So it took us quite a bit of struggling to do that. And it was, there were three of us here. Um, it was me and Naomi and uh, Chris Cavalieri were here working on this. And, you know, Chris is a certified Lamborghini master tech. So he's pretty good at fixing cars. But, yeah. you know, he too was stumped by the 81 Toyota Cressida. So, yeah. Well, they kind of have like a hinge point. Yeah, this, so it's got two hinge points. That's the problem. We didn't realize how long the bolt was in the back because I didn't undo it. Everything makes it look like it would obviously be the one by the bumper is the one that you unbolt and bolt back together. So, and then yeah. that's what we all thought looking at it. That's how I took the car apart. And it wasn't until we got that first one done that Naomi was laying next to me out of the car and looking around. And she's like, why don't we try undoing the bolt at the front of this side and see if it gives us... You know, because then we can, even if we can't line it back up exactly right, we can at least, because it goes straight up into the car, like perpendicular to the frame of the car, we could at least put a big awl through the strap and into the hole and like stretch it, like pull it over and maybe we can make it work. But we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to take the bolt all the way out. Just dropping it, the bolt is like four inches long. And just by dropping it like three of those four inches, it gave us enough wiggle room to get that side of the tank back in, so... It was the way to do it, and uh, next time it will be a half-hour job, but this took forever on Friday night. So we got to that point on Friday night, and I said, all right, I think this is where we're going to stop. We'll pick this back up over the weekend. So over the weekend, I picked the car back up. Um, first things first, filled it with fuel. I said, well, the best thing to do is to fill it with fuel, all right? Start cranking it and go from there. So I filled it with fuel, cranked it over. It's not starting this is fine. You know, there's no fuel in the lines. There hasn't been for a long time. I made sure the fuel pickup was in the fuel. Definitely was made sure there was, you know, no leaks anywhere. There wasn't any leaks anywhere. No fuel was getting up. It didn't seem like anyway to the engine because I could put some fuel directly into the throttle body, get the car to crank over. It would run until that fuel burned off and then just die. So now you have to go into diagnostic mode, right? Why are we not getting fuel from the tank to the front of the car? So my thought was I'll start taking the fuel system apart that I just put in the car from the front to the rear and test it individually each time, right? So go to the frontmost point and unbolt the connection and then crank the car over and see if we're getting fuel that far. So I unbolted it at the fuel filter, cranked the car over, no fuel getting to the fuel filter. So obviously it's not going to get to the injectors if it's not getting to the filter. All right, let's go a little further back. The next split in the line is like midway past the driver's seat. So I split the line there. All right, we'll crank it over, crank it over. There is no fuel getting to that point. Okay, next step is the line on the back of the fuel pump. Get to the back of the fuel pump, start cranking it there. Nothing comes out the fuel pump. That's interesting. I did skip a step here. My first thing to do is make sure the fuel pump was actually working. So I did get under there with a couple of things. First, I used the 
multimeter, cranked the car over, made sure there was power getting there. And then, you know, held my hand in the pump and you can feel the pump kick on. That was the first thing I did just to make sure, Hey, obviously the first thing I want to do is make sure the pump's working. You know, maybe I put it on backwards. Maybe I have the positive and negative and the pump's pumping backwards. So I, I made sure that was correct. I had that all correct. The pump was pumping in the right direction. Okay. Well, this is still weird. So now I'm like, I don't know what to do. The pump's pumping, but no fuel is coming out of it. Is there some kind of a kink in the line that I didn't notice when I was putting it together? Did I bend the pickup tube? Like what, what did I do here? Like when I was trying to put the tank in, did I bend something? I don't know. So at this point I take the fuel pump back out of the car. So now I've taken everything I've done over the past week, pretty much thrown it in the trash. At least now I know how to do it quicker because I've already done it once, but nonetheless, super annoyed at this point. It's probably midday. Should have the car running by now. Get the fuel pump out. I put it in my hand, take a length of hose, put the length of hose in the fuel tank on the pickup side of the pump, take a battery and literally run 12 volts of power straight from the battery, straight to the positive negative terminal on this pump. Pump fires up, starts spinning and just spins and spins and spins and no fuel goes through it. I don't That's know. Weird. Yeah. I don't know if you remember back to when I bought this part and I said, Hey, I'm not going to buy a cheap fuel pump. I'm going to buy a brand name, like actual nice. That's a $20 fuel pump option. I'm going to buy the $70 brand name fuel pump. Cause I don't want to have an issue where I cheap out and it winds up being an annoying problem. So yeah, turns out the brand name fuel pump did not help at all. So the Denzo. It was a Denzo, wasn't it? Yeah. I thought you said Delphi. Oh, Delphi. Sorry. There was a Denzo available. Delphi was the brand available. So, but was, hey, Delphi again is the, it's a name brand. You know what I mean? I didn't buy the John's fuel system, fuel pump that you could have bought for $20 on Rock Auto. I bought the Delphi pump, which we'll get Delphi's customer service after this because it is horrifying. Delphi has an American Hmm. branch, but they won't talk to you because the part came from Rock Auto, who apparently sourced it from somebody who sourced it from England. So they want me to send it back to England and now I'm all ticked off, but that's beside the point. Um, Pump, pump, pump at all. Brand new, goddamn off-the-shelf fuel pump. Shouldn't be a problem. That's my problem. So now I'm like, great, what am I going to do? I, I don't want to stop this project midday. It's a universal fuel pump. Somebody must have one. So at this point, uh, Naomi's son Jordan was over. And he's like, all right, hold on. He's like, I know the guy's over at AutoZone because he used to be a tech at a, a shop around here. He goes, let me give him a call and I'll see if I can you know, get one jobber price for you. I was like, all right, well, at least we can try that. So we call AutoZone, and wouldn't you know, they have one on the shelf. It's a universal part. It's probably the same in every Japanese and European and maybe even American car throughout the 80s. It's a pretty simple cylindrical pump with a positive and negative line. That's it. So they had it on the shelf, and it happened to be another Delphi. So I'm like, all right, I don't know if I want to buy it on the Delphi, but it's what they got. I'll go for it. So I bought the part, brought it back. First things first, I tested it that way, like put the hose direct in the tank, ran 12 volts of power directly through it, and it immediately pumped fuel everywhere. So I was like, all right, we're better now. That's so weird that it was running but not pumping fuel. So there must be some kind of a diaphragm inside, right? Yeah. I didn't I take guess. it I didn't take it apart because I was trying to return it. But I assume I it must have my coworker. He used to work for Delphi. Oh, did he? I yeah. I assume it must have some sort of 
of diaphragm used inside to, of it. used to work in fuel pumps too. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I assume it had some sort of diaphragm inside of it and it must have gone bad at some point. Maybe it was on a shelf in a warehouse in Dubai for it's 140 degrees. Who knows? Nonetheless, it didn't work and it was super annoying because it seems like that happens more often than it should that I get parts that are junk out of the box, which is frustrating. Particularly for you. I don't... <laughs> Yeah, and there's no way I did I'll, anything I'll wrong. Watch, I'll get something now, yeah. but I haven't. But there's no good. way I did anything wrong to like break this because it's literally a positive negative wire, and I hooked it up properly the first time, and everything was right, you know. So I, I get the new fuel pump, I get it in, I hook it all back up in the car, run the wires to it, I, and now I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? Because I have the whole entire fuel system apart, I haven't run any fuel through it. I ran some like aerosol carb clean kind of stuff through it. I said, let me actually run fuel through the lines with one connection at a time. So if there is any junk in the system, I'll see it come out. And I'm glad I did that because when I went to that first connection and I plugged it in and I cranked the car over, I watched this like sludgy stuff come out of that old line because the, the I didn't replace the, the steel line into the car because it's fine, but it was full of sludge. So as I pumped the fuel through it, it pushed the sludge out first and then it was pumping like crystal clear fuel out of it. So that actually probably saved having to do a fuel filter right off the bat because all the junk was in there. So I guess silver lining, that all worked out. So a short version of a long story, got all back together, get everything going. Fuel is going all the way past the fuel filter. It's definitely getting into the rail. I can see the return line having fuel dumped back into the tank. So the system is working and the car is still not starting. So I'm like, all right, well, we obviously have fuel. I said, and just for, you know, just double check, I'm going to crack the line at the end of the rail and see if it has pressure. Make sure that's working properly. So I cracked the line at the end of the rail and it has pressure, you know, fuel squirts out. I crank it over with that line off the end of the return line and watch, you know, nice crystal clear fuel pouring out of it. I'm like, okay, so it's fuel there. No question. What is happening next? So at this point, I'm like, all right, well, we have to find the injector harness and see if the harness is getting power. So the harness was not getting power. So, all right, let's find this because this car has a cold start, like secondary injector. All right, let's see if this power going to the secondary injector. There was no power going to the secondary injector. All right, well, now let's, let's see if we can jump power direct to the secondary injector and see if I can get some fuel at least into the car and prove positive that it, will, that it will run again. So we do that. I get power direct from the battery right to that secondary injector. And the car will idle because it's literally just pumping a mist of fuel into the intake manifold for cold start. But it won't rev on that because it's not enough fuel. You know, it's just a, a steady mist going into the intake manifold. But proof positive that with power we can do something, right? So then proceeded to spend probably... I don't know, the next four or five hours chasing down any broken wires, any grounds, any leads and any of the harnesses under the hood uh, and to the point where I was almost ready to give up. So I was quite frustrated. Uh, another friend happened to be coming over, came over later that night. Um, so he was hanging out for a little bit and he's kind of a, he's a Toyota guy. So he knows his Toyota stuff. And he goes, well, sometimes the ECU on this car, on these cars will fry. And if you don't have a good ECU, you won't have injectors. 
I was like, oh, yeah. I never thought of checking the ECU because the car, again, ran on fuel directly poured into it, right? So I was like, the ECU is probably okay, but I'm not the guy that knows Toyotas as much as you, so you know Toyotas, so let's take a look at this. It it ran with fuel poured in it, but the injectors weren't working. Correct, but it had its spark, so, so I was like, well, ECU, engine management to me was working, you know what I mean? Again, I'm not a, I'm not a master tech here. I'm just a, a backyard hack learning as I go, right? So yeah. Regardless, I mean it's it's cranking, so it's turning the distributor. Right? It has a distributor. Yes. And it has a coil. It has a coil, and it has what they call an igniter. So it's a big it's a yeah. big box on top of the igniter. So anyway, in my brain, the ECU was working because all that was working, and there were enough broken wires that I assumed. You know, because the car, again, sat in the desert for 20-something years. Like, a broken ground somewhere can ruin the whole day, you know? It's got to be something stupid. So he's like, well, let's check the ECU anyway while I'm here. So we start taking apart the passenger side dashboard. Because the ECU in this car is mounted on the bottom of the top of the dash pad. Just kind of a weird spot, like the direct sun right there, but that's where it is. So we get the whole thing opened up, and he puts his hand on it. And he goes, oh. I was like, what? He says, that connector just slid like what felt like a foot, but it was, you know, it was probably a few millimeters. He goes, maybe it was just disconnected. I was like, that doesn't sound right. He goes, do me a favor and give it a crank. I gave it a crank. And I'll tell you, man, this car started on like a half of a turn of the engine. Weird. And came down to an idle. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Just being up there on the top of the dash, heat cycles, vibration, and just like... So the clip that... The retainer clip on the harness is broken. Okay. So either either somebody was messing with it and cracked it, or it broke over time. The car... Where I bought the car, where the person lived, was a a really rough dirt road. So if that clip had failed, and they drove up and down that road enough... And that harness backed itself off. That could be what parked this car back in two thousand one. Yeah, maybe. You know, it. it I, feel, I think it was a one, a one or two, whatever it was. It was twenty years ago at least. That could be what sidelined this car. That could be the whole story. You know, and here's this expert Toyota guy who happened to be like, "Well, ECU is gonna be an issue. Let's check it." So. Big shouts to Ruben because without Ruben's help, I don't know where I would be because I don't know that I ever would have got to that point. Maybe I would have, but he had the you know the experience and the wherewithal to be like, hey, let's just check this point in the point in the car. So he did. Got the car running. Beautiful. It My skips. client had a broken ECU plug, hmm. and sometimes it wouldn't run. Right? Get it. No, that was uh, when I got it. Okay, the tab was broken, and I was able to get a new one and. Well, the pins over. I was looking at it, and it's not a very long pigtail in order for me to work on it. I'm not quite sure how I do that. Uh, I was looking at some other ways to hold the clip in place. Um, you could run a long cable tie around the whole thing. That's what's going to happen, is I think, for now, at least, anyway. But you would, to de-pin it, there's a lock. Right. You open the lock, and the pins with the right tool come right out. Yeah. You don't. You don't cut the wires. No, I wouldn't be cutting the wires. I'd try to find that, that harness clip. If I could even find one, I don't know if it even exists. It's probably a standard Toyota one, so somebody probably does make it. But 
Yeah, you'd digging. be surprised all the connectors you can buy. Yeah, I'm this. I'll have to do some digging. But for now, I'm just going to, like you said, I'm going to wrap a giant cable tie around it and go from there. So uh, the point, point of the story is the car runs. Uh, he was here for a while. Um, he's actually, uh, his whole family is good friends with Naomi's whole family. So his wife and kid and everything was here and hung out for a while, had pizza. And after they left, I was like, all right, I'm going to take this car for a quick jaunt down the street. I didn't want to go far because the further you go when the car dies, the further you got to push it back. Right. So I went, put it in reverse, backed it out of the driveway transmission slipped a little bit and that made me kind of like eh, kind of nervous put it in the street put it in drive i hit the brakes brakes work brakes work beautiful brakes feel like they're brand new which is bizarre also put the car in drive drove the car down the street maybe 100 150 feet again transmission slipped i didn't go far enough to hit second gear i just went you know 25 miles an hour hit the brakes car stopped put the car back in reverse trans slipped again Back the car up, backed it back in the driveway, and put it in park, and there it is. I hadn't checked the transmission fluid of the car running yet, because obviously the car hasn't been running since I've had it. I checked it when it was off, and it seemed full, but obviously when the car is running, the fluid goes up into the transmission. So I did leave it idling in the driveway and check the transmission fluid, and it's there's no fluid on the stick. So obviously the fluid is low in the transmission, so that's the next step is to put some training fluid in it, do a tune-up on it. I have plugs, I have cap, I have rotor, I have wires, I have all that stuff, air filter, and uh, see if I can smooth out the idle. Because I think if if a tune-up might be enough to smooth out the idle, if not, I'm going to have to probably do an, at least injector cleaning, which I wouldn't be surprised because, again, the car sat for 20-plus years. So, But, hey, the good news is making like huge progress, right? <laughs> So right. I wound up spending like 12 hours that day working on it, but it was totally worth it in the end because in the end I drove the car. So this uh, random on a whim $600 online auction purchase is uh, turning out to be a pretty good car. You know, I cleaned it. I posted a picture of it on my Instagram. I don't think it's on the auto off topic page, but I mean, it doesn't even look bad anymore. I mean, you saw the picture. It doesn't look like a car that sat in the, desert for 20 yep. years it looks like car that's had in desert for maybe three years <laughs> so it's it's coming along pretty good i'm uh i'm pretty stoked not gonna lie it's one of, it, it feels really good to get to a point where you have this much progress on a car and now everything is kind of gravy so i just need to sort out some other stuff this weekend's gonna be another big weekend of time and effort working on it i haven't unfortunately had much time this week to do anything with other life events and life stuff happening, but I'll, uh, I'll have some time this week and maybe by next podcast, I'll have the car with some miles on it. Thankfully here in Arizona, I can do a, a one day or a 30 day temp tag and just drive the car on the block a bunch and sort it out. Do the, what do they call it? The two ten to uh, two twenty two hundred mileage tests, drive it two feet, Drive it two miles, drive it twenty miles, and drive it two hundred miles, and see what happens. Oh, I never heard of that. Yeah, if that's kind of what you got to do, and you put something together, right? Don't go far away until you've established that it will work. It's it's two point one miles round trip to the QT gas station down the street, so that should be my first drive. I think go down there, fill it up, and drive it home. So hopefully that'll be the report next week. 
you know, I don't, there's nothing going on this weekend as far as anything during the day. So I should have plenty of time to work on it and get it fully tuned up and do a much more cleaning and detailing and get a set of uh, tires on it that don't have cracks in the sidewall, the size of the Grand Canyon and, uh, and go from there. So I'm stoked. And the next step after that will be shock absorbers because the car rides like a Titanic. It's, it's very floaty. <laughs> doesn't have it doesn't have shock absorbers i'll put it that way it's just on springs <laughs> yeah it's pretty it's pretty junk but yeah that's my project car update i think it's a pretty good one actually cool yeah have you done any uh, project car stuff uh no perfect I looked at parts on the internet I, I didn't do anything hold carrying the whole team on my back it's fine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all fine oh and i should have I now officially have a cylinder head for that Honda. I think I mentioned that last week that we were getting it. I now have it. Uh, and I ordered all of the head gasket replacement parts, head bolts, timing belt, water pump, and timing gasket set. So I don't think I'll have that in time for this weekend, but that'll be possibly also worked on before next podcast. Fingers crossed. So. All right. Oh, and sorry, back it up. I did purchase plane tickets for Naomi and I to fly to a city in this great country of ours and uh, okay. pick up the next car and bring it home. What? Mm-hmm. You know what it is, but we can't talk about it yet. I don't. You do, because we talked about it. Okay, maybe. It's a, it's a car. It's a car that somebody we know owns and is selling to me. Oh yeah. Okay. But we're just, we're not talking about it until everything goes through. Just make sure everything goes through. Okay. So that won't be next week. That'll be two weeks, uh, three weeks, like the mid May actually my, for my, my birthday weekend, we're going to go out and get this thing. So it should be pretty exciting. All right. The good news is it's not a project. I can drive it home. All right. They're definitely not coming to Philly with me. Definitely not coming to Philly. Nope. Okay. Sorry. I was at Philly Radwood. It's what weekend is with, that? With something. One of my cars. What weekend is that? Twenty first. Okay, so yeah, same weekend. I'll be going to a different city. Which there's one in Cleveland on the seventh, but that's too soon. Yes, I'll be going to a different city well, to pick not, up the car. It's not. It's not too soon. I'm just busy. It's my my son's. Actually, uh, shout out. So, uh, Marco, it's your second birthday. Is will be Monday. So this is being recorded on April 28th, 2022, and your second birthday will be on May 2nd, 2022. Excellent. So if you're ever listening to this ever again. That'd be cool, but he's like 22 and listening to it somehow. When he's in this garage wrenching on his flux capacitor in the future, you could listen to his dad give him a happy birthday shout out. I like it. The the best I will also say happy birthday. The best story that I have is that where the... You were born on a Saturday, and the Friday night before, you were actually due on, like, Sunday, they thought. So me and Brad were playing Forza until, like, 1 in the morning. Yep. I remember that. And uh, Because your dad is definitely <laughs> yeah. a child. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I couldn't. You couldn't go anywhere, man. No, I am, we too. It's to fine. We're both children. It's okay. Listen, it was the middle of the pandemic. We couldn't, it, was, it wasn't like I could be out of the bar. It was early pandemic, where, like, everything was... Literally, everything was closed. Yeah. So, anyway... Uh, your mom woke me up at like four in the morning. 
<laughs> after playing video games all night. And uh, that's how our day went. Yep. And then uh, you got three hours of sleep just, and you haven't gotten any since. You showed up yep. just before the day ended because I was like, let's do it. We want it today. Yep. Well, happy so. birthday, Marco. So, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll let we'll let your dad slide with not having a project air update this week. He was preparing his birthday. Somehow, I don't. I didn't show him this. He somehow knew to go to the basement door and was like upset and like looking for cars. Hmm. Cars because like real cars the, or cars like your stash of toy cars. Hot guess. Wheels. Yeah. Well, because and then his his grandmother's visiting here from Arizona. And my wife's here, obviously. And they're like, well, that's because you always come up the stairs and you give them a Hot Wheels. I mean, I don't do this every day. Right. If, it, if I get him one, I come up the stairs and give him one. So he, he made, they're like, he made that assumption. I'm like, I don't. He's established yes. there is a secret factory of Hot Wheels cars in the basement. <laughs> Listen, man, if I was two years old and I knew that there were stashes of Hot Wheels cars in the basement, I'd probably be trying to get down there myself, too. Yeah. In fact, listen, I, I, my, I have a birthday also coming up and I'll be 41 years old. Uh, and I still like to go places with the stashes of Hot Wheels cars that I know about. So, totally fine. <laughs> yeah, this is accurate. It's not, not an issue at all. So, anyway. anyway. Uh, yeah, we, we did, did questions. We did. We did questions this week. Where do you want to start with questions, Andrew? Why don't you start with the Facebook ones? Facebook it is. Let me pull it up here on my phone. All right. So, as we always have issues with the algorithm with this stupid social media stuff uh we've managed to, to figure out a way to get two people we know who know each other to at least talk on the facebook page <laughs> so joe and yeah. craig both asked questions but your dad did too so um given the fact that we just talked about the electric corvette your dad's question they're all actually, real real questions too i'll, I'll hand it to them that they're not they are questions. they're not goofy questions uh craig's question is very lot very long and i'll paraphrase it but that's okay uh, we'll start with your dad's question. So big shouts to your dad, uh, whose birthday is also in May, is it not? Yeah. 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 It's within a week of Marcos. So yeah, he's what the 12th. Ooh, <laughs> sorry. Andrew, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> totally called you on that one. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> I know it's right before mine and mine's on the 18th. So we'll call it that way. It's around mother's day. It's like, yep. Good, good job. <laughs> It's totally my fault. I did not eat. I, Listen, I was unintentional. My, my dad's is around Mother's Day. My mother's is around Father's Day. Perfect. So. Perfect. Well, I will say happy birthday to Tony next week because closer to his actual birthday. And by then, we'll have it all straightened out. All right. So Tony says, what do you think would be a respectable mileage range for an electric vehicle? What would be an acceptable amount of time it should take to charge said vehicle from empty to fully charged? So I look at this question as at what point would you buy an electric vehicle for your only car? And I don't know that I could buy an electric vehicle for my only car if it couldn't have an operable range of 300 miles and be able to recharge back to about that range in about 10 minutes. That sounds obviously ridiculous, but that has to be something we shoot for because that's how I think of a road trip in a gas car. I tend to stop every 200 miles or so to get fuel, just to top off, stretch my legs. Yeah. Um, 200 miles is a good range because usually it's you know a couple hours plus. You do that 200 miles, you stop, you fill up, 
you take five minutes to walk around the car or maybe run into the convenience store and grab a, a drink or whatever, or use the facilities and you come back out and you're back on the road in 10 minutes. I think when there's no difference between a gas car and an electric car, that's when I'll be okay with it. I don't want to, I didn't want to say 200 miles of range because that would give me huge range anxiety and I'd be stopping at a hundred miles instead of 200. So I think if I had no. 300 miles of range. No, because a, a gas car on the highway will get you about 300 miles. Yeah, depending on the car. Yeah, three to 400 miles. But I, I just think that's a comfortable range that at 200 miles, mm-hmm. I can be like, all right, now I need to start thinking about fuel or thinking about, excuse me, not fuel, but electrons. I know that I have another 100 miles to go, but now I have within that 100 miles to stop. I think that would make me comfortable. I mean, you kind of want a little bit more than that, like 350, 400 probably, because if there's any type of cold temperature, it reduces it quite a bit. Uh, it's I'm, too hot. Yeah, I'm just saying ideal. You want I, it to average out sure. to like 300? Yeah, I'm just saying ideal situation. 300 miles is, is the range I would need, um, which I guess yeah. maybe it's more than that, but 300 is the, the operable range that I would require to be comfortable driving an electric car across country would be 300 miles. Um, depending on how you drive it, you can get some regen out of it. And you're not getting a lot of regen on the highway. No. I mean, unless there's hills. Along. Yeah, if there are hills, I guess like coming up to 17 here in Arizona. But then again, you also lose a lot more because you're climbing the hill too. So I don't know. I think on a long trip, it probably equals out a little differently just because it's a lot of highway driving. And any hill you're going down, you've already gone up. So I'm just thinking like, I'm thinking cross-country driving. I'm thinking going and visiting Naomi's family in Oklahoma or taking a trip cross-country back to Massachusetts or driving for the weekend to San Diego or something. I think that a 300-mile operable range would be where I need to be. So whatever that 300-mile operable means, yes, does it need to be more for cold weather? Maybe, but I'm just thinking that I need 300 miles of operating range to make it work. And I, I thought that that was low until you said that a gas car gets about 300. But I forget that because I drove that diesel for so long. That was my road trip car. And, you know, on a good road trip, I could get 550 miles out of a tank. <laughs> so I kind of forgot that. But yeah, 300 is probably pretty average. But yeah, that's my answer. What's your answer, Andrew? About the same? Yeah, it's right around like 350, 350. Because that's what my current cars get. So, yep, that's what I need. And then, yeah, I don't want to sit around for like two hours while the car charges. No, it's got to be fast because that adds so much time to your road trip. When you consider the yeah. fact that you do, say you're doing a 20-hour road trip and you're stopping for five to 10 minutes for fuel so that five to 10 minutes, if you stop, you know, 10 times adds an hour to an hour and a half. If you had to stop for 30 minutes to an hour every time, you're adding, you know, 10 hours to your 20-hour road trip and that's just not acceptable. So. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, that's for like a road trip car, though. Like if, but that's how I think for, about buying a car. I mean, it might be different if I'm buying a car specifically for a purpose. I mean, that's kind of an edge case. But if it's your only well, car, that's that's why I said it's your only car. If I'm buying for so a specific do road trips, I do it a lot. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you're an edge case. But but, but uh, the question was asked I, to us, and that's my answer that's what i would need i might be an edge case but i do a ton of road trips i my favorite thing to do is road trips i have if i had 350 miles of range i could do one charge a week just like one tank of gas a week so the charge time wouldn't really matter unless especially if there's a charging place at work 
but now it's your only but, car but and I, now you but want to take a road a, trip. But I would also have a charging place at home, so it literally charge every time I park it. So like the range for like commuting back and forth to work, the range amount is like doesn't matter. Right. As long as I can make it to work and make it home. No, and again, if, if the car if is a charger at work. And that's why I'm saying if the car is specifically for a purpose, if this car is just a commuter and you don't need to rely on it to take a long trip, then yeah, it's it's, it's very dependent on your situation. You know, I have a 60, 65 mile commute every day total. So it's like 30 something miles each way. So I could get away with most any electric car for my commuting and just plug it in overnight and have it charged the next morning, right? But yeah. the other case with that is come home at night and there's a storm and there's no power. I can't drive to work the next day. How often does that happen? These are edge cases, man. Again, but I'm you're, we're talking edge cases, but I'm talking things that I need to have workarounds no, for. This is like an edge case. No. How often do you lose power? Often enough to worry about it. Really? I'd say so, especially during like I've monsoon never, season. I never lost power at this house, my house. Yeah, no. Like it blipped. It'll blip like once in a while, but that's like a year, once a year. Yeah. Anyway, there. So that might be an edge case, but I just maybe less of an edge case is I drive home. I'm tired. I forget to plug the car in that night. What do I do the next day? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Anyway, I I I probably will not be buying an electric car as a primary mode of transportation anytime soon. I could I would absolutely buy one. I could. Oh, that's what we didn't talk about. The lightning came out this week. Oh, that's big. Or they started production. Yeah. Didn't come out. I could see myself buying an electric car for a commuting vehicle with that, you know, 60 miles a day of driving. But I would need to have something that I could also get in and on a whim drive to Seattle. Because that's the kind of dumb stuff that I do. Sure. So Hey, it, again, the question was what do you think a respectable mileage range would be? So that's just where I'm at. That's what I think in order for me to buy one. That's how I answered the question. Moving on, Joe Davis asks, what vehicle or vehicles would you like to see brought back into production and why? I'm going to make this hard mode. No Mitsubishis. Because we all, we, we all say Evo. We all say Starion. None of the above. So those are my two okay. answers, an Evo and a Starion. I'd love a modern Evo, and I'd love a modern Starion. And I, I have... Want a, I, want a, I want a new Montero. <laughs> the body on frame. Sure. Full, a full-frame Montero? I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah, bring back all the classic Mitsubishis yeah. they don't make anymore, which is all the Mitsubishis. They don't make anything cool anymore, really. <laughs> all right, all right. So non-Mitsubishi. Non-Mitsubishi. That's the hard mode here. Okay. All right, all right. Um... I want a genuine, simple hot hatch. I don't particularly care which one it is. Uh, I know there are hot hatches out there. There's like the Focus RS and the new Corolla GR, um, but they're not a simple hot hatch. I want a nice, simple, like EK Civic Type R. I want a simple GTI, not a turbocharged, complicated, heavy like just a lightweight front drive, fun to drive, hot hatch. Something with 200 to 250 horse or less. So you want a Civic Sport, but a hatchback. I want something that's less 
car, though. I want something that's simpler. I want. I know that regulations won't allow me to have you know an eighteen. They're pretty simple. Yeah, that's not attractive. It also has to be attractive. Bring back a hot hatch that's attractive. So a a, a golf. Give me a golf. Already no, they cancel golf. They don't make a golf anymore. They only make a GTI. Golf oh. is no more. There's no more golf in the States or anywhere, I don't think. Canceled altogether. So if you want to buy a hatchback Volkswagen, you have to buy a Ford or it has to be turbocharged. Yeah, so that's great. But it's not what I want. I want simplicity. I want the world's most simple car. I want, I want a simple Honda Civic. I want no That's turbos. Nissan Versa. But I want it to also be good. That's the problem here. <laughs> there's there's no there's there's nothing between absolute junk and not simple. I want simple but not junk. I want a Mirage with a handling package. That's what I want. Which I guess isn't bringing back a car anymore. But we'll call it a Mirage Cyborg R, but it'll be based on the Mirage and be better looking and only have two doors. So they should bring back the Mirage Cyborg. They never even sold it in the first okay. place, but that's what I want. Wait, no Mitsubishi. Damn it, Andrew. Why'd you make that rule up? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> there's nothing else that I would want. Um, Yeah. I, I, I mean, a they still make them, but if they sold them here, like LC70s yep. to Land Cruisers, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, because they basically they just need to sell them here. Modern Montero. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know yeah. why they don't. I wonder if it's a crash ratings thing. Or just... Oh, it's definitely a crash thing. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> anyway. I drove one. It has a five mile an hour bumper, but that's it. The door panels are still like 80s door panels that are two and a half inches thick. So screw it. You want a Montero back, and I want a Starion back. We're going back to Mitsubishi's. <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh, you know what? I'd take a new Cressida. Give me a rear drive inline six sedan. Oh, I know what I want. I want a two-door coupe WRX. Okay, like a GC? Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Or any WRX that's not terribly ugly would be nice. You want a two-door yeah, coupe WRX without cladding on the side. I mean, are we talking about the exact yeah. car or a modern rendition of the uh, old car? Because if, if we're talking about a modern rendition of the old car, then yeah, just give me a brand new 1999 Civic Type R. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Definitely, like that's that's a hundred percent what I want, and I don't want to pay two hundred grand for one on bring a trailer that has a hundred miles on it. I want an actual one produced yesterday. I want like South Africa got the Volkswagen oh, Rabbit. South Africa got the Volkswagen Rabbit until like two thousand and thirteen. Like that's what right. I want. I want a brand new Volkswagen Rabbit in two thousand and twenty two, but it's actually an eighty three car. I got it. Okay, I got it. Five ten. Perfect. Give me a brand new like, 510. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the Versa 510. Yep. <laughs> whatever whatever you got to call it to make it work. Yeah. They still own the Datsun name. They sell cars as Datsuns yeah. in India. Yeah. Give me a simple rear drive Datsun 510. You know what? I just, yeah. I, I need to buy a 510. That's always been my list. I'm going to ask you a question, Andrew. This is All actual right. questions. We're getting off listener questions for a second. Is there any car on your forever bucket list that is still fairly affordable that you've never owned? Um, oh, good question. Uh, well, yeah, I would say 
one of the French hot hot hatches I'm looking hot hatches I'm looking for. Okay. Still pretty affordable. They're like, you know, ten to fifteen. Okay, that's a good choice. So yeah. I've had since I was I don't know, mid teens, my like adult dream garage, what I thought I was gonna have as an adult is a three car garage with a first gen NSX, a Datsun five ten. And a original Mini Cooper, like 1275S. That was going to be my three-car garage. Like, when I'm an adult and I have money, those are the cars I'm going to have. So, uh, 15-year-old me would be horrified to learn that I haven't owned even one of those cars. For a while, NSXs were affordable. I never jumped on one. 510s, you can still get a 510 sedan for less than 15. And you can definitely still get a cheap Mini Cooper. And I've never pulled the trigger on any one of the three cars. And I've had, and you've had, countless cars. And not, none of us have ever bought any of these one cars we always wanted. I don't understand why. So maybe I need to make a 510 happen. Anyway, moving on. Next question. Hmm. I, I was thinking about the other day. I was talking to somebody at work about like my my dream car garage since the dawn of me having a dream car garage was... 510, original Mini, and NSX. Never owned any of them. I got to change that. I got to have at least one of them. All right. Craig Simas asks, and I'm going to try to break this down a little bit because for those of you who don't know Craig, he's long-winded here. Uh, What are your thoughts on form versus function failures? Example, rear turn signals being red instead of amber. Um, then he says something about it's all just stupid. Same thing. Like with not allowing cars like the skyline in our country, was that politically driven between GM and Ford and lobbyists to not want competition? Uh, I don't think so. Um, let's do the first product question first. What are your thoughts on form versus function failures? Example, rear turn signals being red instead of Amber. Uh, I prefer Amber turn signals. I think we talked about this before. Did we not on an episode about turn signals? We did, and it's like kind of a weird thing. I don't know, manufacturers are kind of given the choice on it, I think. For some reason, in the United States, it's not a law either way. Yeah. In Europe, My Volkswagen's other... got solid red. Yeah, in Europe and But if other... the car is sold in Europe, sorry, it's amber, right? Yeah. Yeah, they have to have amber turn signals because it's been proven yeah. that the percentage of rear-end accidents goes down a ton when you have a yellow turn signal versus a red. Because yeah, it differentiates it from the turn from the brake light. And yeah, no. I don't know why that never became a thing here. It doesn't make any sense, but it never did. Yeah. Especially where there I are so because, many lighting rules in this in this country. Yeah, I think a lot of American cars through the fifties and sixties just had red taillights, so it just kind of stayed. Yeah, it never changed. It's an American thing. Wow. Um and then Japanese manufacturers didn't want to make two taillights. Although sometimes they did. Yeah, sometimes they did. But for the most part yeah. they didn't. And they would just have amber. Yeah. I think um, the reason we didn't get cars to more than the next part of the question, like the Skyline or early Evos or early STIs in this country, it wasn't anything to do with them. It, it was, but it wasn't anything to do with lobbyists or Ford or GM no. saying, no, we don't want these competition. It was more the Japanese makers not thinking there was enough market here to warrant spending the money to ma- meet the U.S. regulations because crash tests here are different than everywhere else. Even though the Japanese cars have safety standards, they have different crash tests 
for some reason it's not like a world standard different emission standards for some reason it's not a world standard um and that just made it cost prohibitive to take a vehicle that you had designed to be a limited production vehicle and federalize it for a whole other market when you weren't planning on making that many of them anyway you know all these cars cars that did had like different bumpers yeah but all all those cars like skylines and ford focus escort uh, sorry ford escort cosworths and the early evos like those cars were nothing but homologation cars so they only had to make a certain amount in order to run in these race events and they weren't going to make enough to support the american market if they thought they even could sell it the american market in order to you know justify the cost of making that car for the american market i think that's the big the biggest reason we didn't get yeah. them they tried um, the glove air 4 and they probably didn't sell very well so but they also only planned on selling a limited number here you know they were like we're gonna sell what three thousand of these cars or 2500 yeah. or whatever it was numbers escape me right now because i'm dumb Three thousand. Now, I'll tell you what I don't like: new Kias and the turn signals in the bumpers. Yeah, it's dumb. They're way too low. Like I thought, I thought there was a law about like light height. There's a law for brake light height, but not for turn signal height. Weird. I think that was a, a misstep in because uh, <laughs> if you remember back, I think we talked about it before. That's why the third brake light exists. Because vehicles like because they are the El Camino yeah. and the Chevy station wagons in the eighties had tail uh, taillights mounted in the bumpers down by the ground, so yeah. they put those up. And there. like I think I was behind a Kia, like a Forte. Is that the sedan? They still make that sedan. I think it's a Forte. Yeah, it's the smaller, the smaller Kia sedan. No longer I was behind one today and stop and go traffic, and it's literally like they are not in your line of sight. No. Like they are, like you're. I'm looking at the front, top of the deck lid, bottom of the window, top of the deck lid. That's where the brake lights are. Yep. And then, at the bottom of my vision, I can see this flashing yellow light. That's a turn signal. Yeah, that's weird. It's like really dumb. Don't like it at all. Yeah, that's weird. Like, why wouldn't you just integrate it into that light? I, I don't think I've noticed too much, but I can picture the lights down there. I don't think I've noticed that they're, um, the actual turn signals are down there. Yeah, they're hard to see. Interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Uh, that is it for Facebook questions. What do you have for Instagram? You going to pull it up, Andrew? Yep. All right, I got it here. <clears throat> Let's see. Judge underscore Mills. We got a predicament. Uh, so this is his car. Uh, the car has special seats, blue Alcantara inserts, but I'm too tall, big for them. Should I fomectomy the factory seat or get something aftermarket? Does an aftermarket seat ruin the vibe? I say aftermarket. Yeah? Yep. Um, two reasons. One, it's a special edition Miata. Your The seats are part of that special edition. If right. they don't work for you anyway, you might as well put them aside and save them so down the road you can restore the car back to stock by putting the nice blue seats back in it. Uh, yeah. Because if you foamectomy them, the problem is the seat material stays the same and you lose a bunch of the height of the foam inside and the seats become stretched out and worn looking faster. Normally not a concern because you're just making the car more comfortable. But I think if you have the special edition seats, you might as well save them 
and put them back in when the car is done later. Because I think foam ectomy, foam, yeah, foam ectomy, which is what Miata guys do. They basically take the seat foam out and shave a few inches off of it because it's now you gain more seat height, but you wind up probably damaging the seats beyond being nice anymore. So I would probably just take the time to buy a seat that fits you properly. You know, you, you, you might, if you do any modifications, you might as well do it right. Um, you know, if it's something you can't afford right away, maybe save up for that. Um, I, I, I think you'd be happier with a brand new seat that you fit in and fits the car better than you would be trying to cut up your factory seats to fit you better. How's that sound? I would not do a fix back. No, I wouldn't do a fix back on a, on a road car uh, unless you were doing a just track car, which this is not that. I would do uh, something would adjustable. Do, yeah, you can do like a, cor- a Corbo adjustable. And then if you get uh, like, the only thing is the seats don't seem that expensive, but then you also need brackets and sliders. And that's like an extra 200 bucks. Yeah, it adds up pretty quickly. Um, I've actually never so, put aftermarket seats in a car. I know you have, but I never have. Yeah, so the uh, planted is a pretty good name company that makes brackets. They're pretty good brackets. Uh, that's what I've had in the Subaru, yep. the Demerics. And then it was like a double slider, I think, from Corbo or Sparco. And then there are Sparco seats. Yeah, and I think the, do the beauty of it, it's a Miata. So you can, there's a thousand manufacturers making parts for those cars. Yeah, because then you can actually get a seat. You can look up, like, what's the widest seat you can fit. Yep. Uh, and then, and for tall guys, and I'm sure somebody has it figured out. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, I think he's, he's up in the Pacific Northwest. There's got to be a race shop there at Stock Seats, too, that you can go down and try some out. So you don't have to buy something blind on the internet when it's a comfort. And even, I mean, honestly, I'm fine with, like, just one in a car. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that sometimes. So if it's just for you, you can leave the passenger seat. <laughs> a, it saves some money, and it gives it kind of a neat, like, club racer look. Yeah. Um, the only reason I would say to not do that is if you do... If you actually do participate in track days and your local track day sanctioning body requires two matching seats, some unfortunately do that. Uh, so, yeah, it only depends if you have uh, instructors. Correct. They have to have the same setup for yep, you. They want, a, they want a matching seat for the passenger for that. In that, in that like case. So many, there's so many groups now that are doing open lapping without instructors that they don't care. Right. So. Yeah, no, I, I would probably change the seat. I think it's the best move for the car. And if it's something you care about and like, you know, you talk about the vibe because it is a special edition, um, I'd probably try to save those seats the best I could. So. All right, cool. Jalopy underscore Jeff underscore AZ. Former guest. What are the coolest affordable Radwood era vehicles? Um, <laughs> coolest or will get you the most attention? I don't know, but there's probably a huge list, so I don't know. Let's do like a couple. The list is very long. I mean, you can still yeah. buy a sub ten thousand dollar nine forty four, and that's like the, I guess and, he already has that. Jalopy Jeff already has that, but that's 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 <laughs> one of the answers you would get. Uh, you can still buy a five thousand dollar Miata. You know, you talk about a car that's. Do you just want to go to Radwood, and be like, you know, noticed at Radwood? Then you can spend. Five to seven thousand dollars and import some weird Japanese K car 
and you'll yeah. fit in. You, you'll, you won't fit into there. You'll have like, you know, a crowd around your car all day, but then now you're stuck with a K car. If you want something fun, you know, like I said, that a 944, a Miata, uh, even a, a second gen RX-7, they're really hard to find, but you can find a non-turbo for sub 10 grand. You know, that's a great Redwood era car. Um, the list of affordable ones is a mile and a half long because literally the rules for Redwood are any car built between 1980 and 1999. And I would say cars from like 93 to 98, there's still a, a laundry list of sedans that are not worth anything that can get you into a Redwood. <laughs> You know, I mean, you can probably you can show any number Camry you bought for three hundred bucks, and you'd yeah. get in. You know, any number of uh, random GM products from that era are still pretty cheap. Yeah, and they're not they aren't like the performance models. Yeah, they're not good. They're not good, but they're interesting. No. Um, yeah, if you found something, one of the more interesting ones, like a like a what was the Oldsmobile with V eight? The Alero? No, the Alero was the grand grand. Grand Am based one. Uh, the is a, big, a bigger one. The Aurora. Aurora. I bet you could buy yeah. like a twenty five hundred dollar Aurora, and that car was like, besides Cadillac, that was like GM's flagship car in the nineties, and they were so proud of it, and it has so much cool like weird technology, and it's a front drive V eight, and you might not want to own one for a long time, but it might be interesting just to experience that world long enough to. Buy the car, clean it up a little, take it to a Redwood, have it be like this dumb Redwood car, and then sell it on to his next owner. We know someone that's got a Riviera that, that they'd probably sell it to you. No, we don't. We know somebody has a Riata. Oh, a Riata. Yes. Yeah. It happens to be in the same, same state as Jeff. <laughs> same thing to me. Yeah. Well, the Riviera was different. The Riviera was a W-based platform, which is the same as the Grand Prix, and it came in a supercharged V6. With that weird, <laughs> like... Well, don't forget, I used to work at a Buick Chevrolet Oldsmobile dealer in that era. So I know these cars better than I should. The Riviera was kind of neat. It's the same kind of vehicle that the the Olds Aurora is. Like, it's, it's kind of their flagship. But yeah, any of those cars would be kind of neat. Uh, and then if you wanted actually a good GM car from that era, I would gladly drive a four-door Cadillac STS. Like dark green over tan leather with the North Star V8. They're like 300 horse in 95. They're actually pretty cool. <laughs> so I would even unironically drive that. I think they'd be a good car. I mean, a Q45 is pretty affordable. Yeah, Q45. I know somebody will sell you one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and if you came over here on a day when I was being frustrated by it, you might even get a good deal on a Cressida. Talk about a Radwood era car that's cheap. I paid 600 bucks for that thing. <laughs> I can take that to a Redwood. So, yeah, there's the, the list is 300 miles long. So um, I think you already own one of the better affordable Redwood era cars. You know, he has a 944. Like, that's a it's a fun sports car. It's got aftermarket support. It's a well-loved car. It's a cool-looking car. It kind of defines the 80s rear-drive sports car, doesn't it? You know, the Starion, the RX-7, the 944, the Supra, they're all that same basic platform. It's the same, not platform, but same basic thought process. Um, I think you already own the best one. Stay with that. All right. 
Sigma underscore Woodcraft. What exists for Rad Miata alternatives? Light two doors under uh, maybe 20K. And then uh, there's a secondary follow-up. Also, Suzuki sidekick Vitara thoughts. Okay, light two doors under maybe 20K. Maybe you should buy just, just 944. That's going to say 924s, 944s. Yeah, I have a weird love for 924s. It probably comes from my love for narrow body stallions. It's just a different look. I, I think of it as the purest the more pure example of what the car was supposed to be. The 944 was designed as the 924 and then added flares later, which both are cool in their own right, but a well-sorted 924 is pretty cool and super cheap. There was a 924 Turbo in San Francisco Craigslist like last week that ran and drove and was 2300 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I kind of, if I hadn't already committed to another car, I might go buy that. So it's super cool. Uh, 924 is definitely cool. You can also say Miata again. Um, and then the one that I've been obsessed over lately is Honda Civic hatchbacks, EGs and EKs. Yeah. So and those okay. are definitely sub 20 grand on two door. And again, I mean, uh, you could get a, a clean Mark three, like Volkswagen. GTI. Yeah. Uh, a good Mark three GTI is getting up there. They're not, as crazy yet, but if you found like a nice, solid, not rusty Mach 3 with a VR6, you'd be getting a lot more. I think you get a lot more car for less by buying something else unless you wanted that. Because the problem with Mach 3 GTIs, A, they rotted away like It's a Mach 3 GTI. They rotted away like crazy. They are good looking when they're sorted. They kind of have little box flares too. Um, the VR6 ones are worth a huge premium over the four-cylinder cars because the four-cylinder cars were two-liter non-turbos and they were not fast they were just eight valve like 110 horsepower maybe not great yeah not great cars uh the vr6 is the way to go on on that note though if you wanted to buy something volkswagen from that era i would stay away from the mark 3 gti and go with a vr6 corrado Oh, right. You know, yeah. they're they're not known for their reliability, but once they're sorted, they can be good. Uh, and they're a little... I suppose they're kind of light. But... Eh, they're pretty heavy, but <laughs> they're li- they're lighter than a modern car. Right? And they're cool looking. Yeah, that's the definition of light, right? And there's two different versions available. You can get the G60, which is the supercharged four-cylinder, or you can get the VR6. So I think those are cool. I've always liked those. Those cars have always been kind of... I, I like them from afar, but I kind of look at them like 3,000 GTs. Like they're maybe a little bit more difficult than I'm willing to live with. Mm. So I've never really pulled the trigger on one of those either. Oh, but Prelude. Hard to find. Hard to find a good one. Yeah. Hard to find a good one. Uh, I There used to be a guy who worked with me for a short period of time who had a Prelude. And the guy who works in the office next door, he owns the realty office next door, actually has a Mark III Super Turbo. When he was looking to buy, when he bought the Mark III Super, he was looking for preludes, and he gave up looking, and he bought a Mark III Super instead because he couldn't find a good, a good fifth gen prelude. So, what a Del Sol! I don't like Del Sols. No, no. I thought you did. I mean, they're neat looking. I wouldn't want to own one because they're heavy for what they are. It's kind of cool though. How heavy? Are you? I mean, how how heavy could they be? They're heavy enough that they're not very high performance. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> so they're, they're heavier than the equivalent Civic at the time. 
So I, I do like them. They're neat. That a clean one of those has gone up a ton in value too. I, I guess it depends on what you want to get out of it. Do you want a car that you can potentially make some money on in the future? Then yeah, buy something like a Honda or a Corrado or something that's more, more, I guess, loved. But I don't know. All right. As far as Grand Vitaras and uh, Suzuki Sidekicks, I am all about Suzuki Sidekicks. They're cool. They, they're fun for off-road. Um, don't think I'd want to live with one every day because they are a no. little bit a little bit shitboxy. Um, but I could definitely have one as a off-road toy. Something to go right. up in the trails with because they're so short wheelbase. Um, all right. One more question. You got it? I got it. You got it. Throttle by cable. Would you rather own one $7.7 million car or $1,700, $7,000 cars? I think I know the answer, but you might surprise me. Does that math work out? Uh, that's what he wrote. Yeah, that's crazy. I guess it does. Yeah. So he reason he said that was the picture I posted for the question episode was a 1966 Ferrari 275 GTB Competizione. That was actually the class winning car yeah, for the GT class in the 1967 24 Hours of Le Mans. It, I double-checked his math. It does work out. Yeah. It randomly showed up at a Cars and Coffee here in town. Like, he just drove it in off yeah. the street. Like, it sure. wasn't It wasn't a car show. It wasn't a concours. It was, it's literally a Cars and Coffee. And the dude just rolled in with a car that he bought at one of the auctions during uh, Monterey Car Week for $7.7 million. Like, yeah. talk about a flex. <laughs> and and he showed up with like an hour left in the day. Like, it was just like, all of a sudden, there's this actual Listen. race winning 275 GTB competition. Like, just rolled in. If if you own that car, you don't get up before noon. Uh, maybe, yeah. Also, <laughs> I would 100% drive that car if I owned that car, which is cool. Uh, to get to the question, though, I don't think I'd ever want to own 1,000 cars. That's <laughs> just like, I don't want. No, it's 7,000. 7,000, $1,000 cars. No, he said $1,000, $7,000 cars. Would you rather own one $7.7 million car or $1,000? thousand seven thousand dollars Oh, cars? okay. That's like, I was like, because I definitely don't want. Seven thousand, one thousand dollar cars, either. But you do want a thousand, seven thousand dollar cars? I don't think I want that. No, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> it's too many cars. It's too many cars. A phrase I possibly never would have uttered in my past, but I will say that. I mean, your motto is to just buy another thousand dollar car. You, you have, you have for years told me that I own too many cars, uh, and I've always said there's never such thing as too many cars. I will here go on record and say that 1,000 cars is, in fact, too many cars. I do not know what I would do with 1,000 cars. That being said, I don't know what I'd do with one $7.7 million car either. You just said it. You drive it. I wouldn't be able to drive it like I want to drive it, though. I I enjoy driving old cars. Um, I know a lot of people park them and just drive them like two events. I enjoy just driving them to drive them. 
Uh, also, going back to our earlier conversation about road trips, I enjoy getting in an old car and doing a 500-mile weekend somewhere. I don't think I'd want to do that if my only old car was one seven point seven million dollar car. So I it's a hypothetical question. Think, you just drive. I it. think I'd rather just meet in the middle somewhere. And could I have like one hundred seventy thousand dollar cars? <laughs> Does that work out better? Things that I'd be okay with. Because somehow in my brain, one hundred cars is not too many cars, but one thousand cars is. I think a thousand cars. I think of like Hot Wheels cars, and sometimes I forget what one I have, and I buy the same one again. So yeah, that would happen with real cars if I had a thousand real cars. I wouldn't even know where the keys were. Imagine having the keys or a thousand cars. Gotta be so frustrating. And batteries, oh, maintenance, Jesus, registration, yeah. insurance. I'd have to. Have, you have to have a guy or like a fleet of guys, fleet of guys, a oh, staff so of guys. This is already costing like millions of dollars yeah. to upkeep the fleet of yeah. I I mean a thousand. Also, cars. if you have the money to have one seven point seven million dollar car, <laughs> you don't just have one seven point seven million dollar car. It's part of your collection. They're probably thirty or forty cars. So what if it was your only? What if that was it? My daily you commuter just saved up. Yeah, <laughs> saved up. That was it. One seven million car you could buy. Yeah. If that's the scenario, and I don't care about the future resale value of the car. Then yeah. my answer is one seven point seven million dollar. Taking car. it to the grave. My answer is one seven point seven million dollar car. Yeah, exactly. Catch me driving back to New England in my nineteen sixty seven Ferrari two seventy five GTB. It's got an aluminum body. Perfect, right? Uh, it's not going to rust. Whatever. I don't want to go in there to visit anyway, so I'll just visit around the snow. It's fine. I I I, I could support that. It's just a car. Drive it. So hi- hypothetically, if those were your only two options. I would choose the one seven point seven million dollar car. Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. Because I would listen. I have anxiety bad enough as it is. I can't imagine the anxiety I would have if I had to deal with a fleet of one thousand cars. What's seven point seven million right now? Like I can get an original four GT, probably. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Or a nineteen sixty six Ferrari two seventy five GTB. Yeah. Now you couldn't get. Cool. You probably couldn't buy the nineteen sixty seven class winning Le Mans GT. Or GT40. No. But you could win the class winning Lama GT class 275 GTV. Yeah. So yeah, $7.7 million opens up um opens up your budget pretty good. Um there's uh not a lot that costs that much. So you're more limited by people willing to sell you their car than you are trying to find a car. But yeah, I'm into it. Let's do it. Want to play the lottery? Win seven point seven million dollars. Hey, somebody won the lottery uh, Powerball in Arizona. Oh, really? What did they win? Yeah, I, uh, it was a lot. It was like maybe four hundred million or something. Maybe it was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't me. That's all I know. So, stay tuned till next week when you see what seven point seven million dollar cars we buy at the lottery. You know, you know what happened. If I actually had seven point seven million dollars, I would probably prove myself wrong, and I'd probably have one thousand, seven thousand dollar cars within like six months because I couldn't contain myself. You absolutely would. Yeah, it would be a problem. Just buy a junkyard. It would be a problem. <laughs> it would be a big problem. I could not put my words where my mouth is. It would definitely be. Uh, it would be. It would be very quickly be out of control. I'll get to him someday. Yeah, sir. You have a thousand cars. <laughs> 
You know what I'd do? I would call companies like Icon and, and places and be like, just give them the cars that I already have. Be like, here, here's my here's my Colt. Yeah. Give me an Icon Colt. Yeah, give me a Singer Colt. Yeah, 100%. That, that would be rad as hell. That's what I would do with that money. <laughs> I would have like dumb resto mods of everything. Yeah, they just give you back a Singer sponsored, like a Singer sewing machine sponsored Colt. No, they give they give me a Porsche and it's a Colt on the back. I'd be like, I don't know what happens. <laughs> anyway, we couldn't find parts for this, yeah. so we built you a Porsche because we, we get parts for it. <laughs> just a Colt body graft to do a rear engined flat six, uh, which I'd be totally down with, actually. By the way, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's an episode, Andrew. You want to give out those socials? Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, follow us on uh, Facebook, Out Off Topic Podcast, Out Off Topic on Instagram, Out Off Topic on Twitter. I'm uh, Ray Snanger on Instagram, Ray Snanger on Twitter. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me at the one and only place at the moment, Instagram, TSISS350. Cool. So as always, keep girls analog and name for the road. Yeah.